If you want to have sustainable growth, you are not going to have the solutions all the time. You cannot, right? It doesn't work that way. When you build a team, there are a number of different roles on that team. And every role has to be valued. And therefore, everyone in those roles have to feel valued. And what there is, there is one of the most efficient ways to make people feel valued is to ask them what is working. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we are tackling another question that has come up for Nate and I as we've spoken to owners of seven-figure music schools. So, hey, Nate, you ready, you ready to jump into this? Yeah, and I love this question, Daniel, because it's, it's very people-focused, which I love, talking yeah. about our teachers. Yes. So um, if this is your first episode, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background. Nate and I have been speaking, as I mentioned, to owners of seven-figure music schools and collecting a number of questions for folks who either already have a school of that size or aspire to a school of that size. And what we're doing here is unpacking answers both from Nate's experience and my experience, just kind of laying out some concrete, measurable things that each person can do or a studio owner, school owner can do to scale up. So today's question, the thing we're going to tackle is how do you make your teachers feel valued? Mm. How do you make your teachers feel valued in your school? So Nate, I know you're going to drop some valuable practical wisdom here. um, Wisdom from the trenches. Maybe let's start. um, Let's preface all of this. Could you tell me, and I know you're going to, like I said, I know you're going to drop some practical steps or principles here, but could you start by giving me some measurable results that you've seen in BMF by doing some of the things that we're going to talk about, maybe a before and after. So, you know, 10 years ago when BMF first got started, it was kind of scaling up. You saw a certain result or you had a certain expectation about what you could expect from your teachers. And now you have a different experience. So what is the before and after for, for, Bro- yeah. for Brooklyn Music Factory. Yeah, great opener. Uh, before we dive into the sort of the principles that we practice at Brooklyn Music Factory. Um, so I, much like many of our listeners, when we started this thing, it was a very personal endeavor, right? So Brooklyn Music Factory was my piano studio um, that expanded into a multi-teacher studio, right? That's a very common story we hear over and over. And so the early investment into teachers was really just the network I knew reaching out and saying, I'm going to hire a handful of friends that I played gigs with around New York, et cetera. I'm sure this is resonating with others, right? We don't, we don't realize that what we're actually doing is building a school and going to be hiring educators that also happen to be great musicians 
And so the before was I would hire friends that, I mean, still many of them are very good friends that were great musicians that may have also aspired to educate. And as a result, um, we just kind of dove in there and sort of made it up as we went along. But everybody was in their own kind of individual channel, right? Um, and the difference now, 12 years later, is that, um, first of all, we're hiring educators. Second of all, we're constantly collaborating around what it is that the student experience is going to have and our goal is always a universal experience across the entire school so that we can do what's most important, which is serve our students and their families. So what I mean by that is now I can very confidently take a student of mine who's ready to move on to another teacher for various reasons, might be because she has... Um, She's at a specific growth stage in her journey, et cetera. But I can very confidently, we within the school, move a student from teacher to teacher to teacher, knowing that they're going to have a consistent experience. And how does that change the game for us as music school owners, Daniel, is that it makes us so much more confident in the experience for all the families. And as a result, so much more confident in the retention of students and as a result, it relieves so much operational pressure on us as owners and anxiety around kind of micromanaging all of these different teachers who are really the ones who have that intimate relationship with the family. So you're trying to like, I don't know if that really answers the question in terms of exact metrics, but, you know, retention is one of the biggest concerns for us, right? Retention because of teachers or retention of students? Aha, uh -huh, both. Right. Because you retain great teachers, you retain their students. And then as you pass students between great teachers, it becomes a culture of the entire program. So um, anyways, let's get into some real, real, real things that we practice at Brooklyn Music Factory that okay. might be valuable for others. But the, the difference is, is that we hire with a whole new level of confidence and we move our students through teachers and transition them from one teacher to the other to the next with a whole new level of confidence than I had, say, even five, six years ago. Five years ago. Okay. So speaking as someone who's had an opportunity to look into a lot of music schools, including yours, mm -hmm. a lot of times the sense that I get when school owners ask this question, how you make your teachers feel valued the sense that I get, because I've actually followed up and asked them, the reason they're asking this question is because they want those teachers to be as committed to the success of uh, the school's students as the owner is. Yes. So it's almost this idea of, um, oh, I want the teachers to feel valued so that I can get something back from them. And the thing that I want to get back from mm. them is that they care. Um, so I'll earn that teacher's loyalty and their hard work if I make them feel valued. And mm. so a lot of times I get this sense that it's almost like relational accounting. Oh, if I do these mm. things for the teachers, yes. then what I'll get back from them is this. But yes. I got to be honest, that's a little creepy. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> creepy, dude. It's, 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 it's a values issue. And it's, uh, yeah, I love that because you're right. Um, we, 
we need, I mean, we're going to get into this. And, and it actually sometimes, I mean, you even said this to me earlier. You're like, well, Nate, it's a little like too abstract for people to wrap their head around. But I don't think, I mean, your creepy, your, your comment creepy really hits at home, dude. It is not abstract to say, what is my reasoning behind investing in these teachers, in these employees? It in fact means that a, you care about the person. Hmm. B, you care about your families because this person is the one who's following through in service to the families. Um, and C, you're aware that you're working on something greater than yourself. That's the key with the comment. I, this is how I translate the comment you just made, Daniel, which is that as business owners, Things get all very metricy and profity and dollars and da 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 da, and we will never sustain growth if our end goal is always, you know, how much money? How how, how can I maximize right. these humans for my benefit? Exactly. And so, before we jump into these principles, I wanted to say that because to summarize the last five or ten minutes we've been talking, what I'm hearing from you is um, there there are these principles. And if enacted, you will have a consistent experience for the students in your school so that you can trust that the job is being done well. And by inserting that comment I just inserted there, it's, it's, a, it's a, almost a foundational thought that undergirds these principles. It's a principle beneath the principle that if you're using this as if it's a formula to get what you want out of someone, it's very possible that though these are really smart principles that it might backfire, might blow up in your face, or might just not work. There does have to be an authenticity behind this. This isn't just a cut and paste formula. There has to be authenticity. Mm -hmm. There has to be true care about the humans that you've put on your team, right? Yes. Yes, dude. Yeah. And all you have to do, Daniel, is ask yourself, are you, for those that are listening, are you one of those school owners or studio owners that doesn't trust your teachers, hmm. i.e., will your teacher leave tomorrow and take all of her students? Hmm. You just have to, that's, I mean, that's a hard look in the mirror, right? That's a, that's a man in the mirror moment where you're like, hmm, how do I actually feel about these people? So anyways, let's dive into the actions you can take that we take at BMF, you know, with like all of you, varying degrees of success, you're not predicting the outcome. All we're doing here is committing to action. Okay. That's the key for us. Okay, so let's dive in. Okay, so in answer to the question, how do you get your teachers to be as committed as you are to the success of their students? There's a couple of principles that I think are valuable. What's that first principle, Nate? Yeah, I'm gonna What's actually I'm gonna do? give I'm gonna give you all three and then we'll then dive into number one. Number one is you need to actually spend time co-teaching with your teachers. Right? You need to get in the ring with them, right? We have a we work with a client now, Daniel, who um, is just such a total badass. Amazing has an amazing school, and she invests forty hours of her time into each new hire. Over the course of how long? Yeah, I'd say a few months. Okay, all right. right? So in, yes. in in in, uh, in service of summarizing very briefly. So that's number one. We're going to co-teach students with yes. what's number two. 
Number two is you need to create a rhythm of both department meetings where you're bringing all the teachers and you together, as well as one-on-one check-ins. In other words, those are that one-on-one coaching time where you're actually spending time with each teacher and just acting as a listener, right? Okay, so as the owner, you're investing money and time. Yeah, and then the final one is you need to get to the point where you are asking your teachers how we can do our job better. Okay. Right. That's it. So how can we succeed? How can, how can I improve as a teacher and how can we as a community improve in our purpose, our mission? Okay. So let's jump into that first principle. But before I do that, Nate, and maybe you can't answer this. And I feel like to some degree, I can't answer this a little bit, but, um, and let's not spend too much time here, but, um, do you get the sense that this is something that most school owners, you know, let's say 200 students, 500 students, 1,000 students, they already know to do these things and um, and are doing them? Or do you get the sense that this is something that, you know, just in your experience in the industry, some, of, some or most of these things aren't being done by other school owners? Just your brief thought on that. Yeah, I think it's like so many of the principles and so many of the questions that we unpack on, the, on this podcast It's that we, you know, I and other school owners all understand that there's a, there could be a better way to do things. We understand that we need to refine how we operate as a school, especially as we grow, but it's very difficult to actually implement them into the rhythm of your week, your month, your quarter, your year as an owner, and couldn't commit to consistently doing them. So we've been doing department meetings and one-on-one check-ins for, uh, I don't know, well over a half, six years, seven, eight, nine years. Okay. Um, and so it's just that simple. It's like, we know it, we write it down in our journal. We're like, I got to start doing this. I just heard about it. It's a good choice. But the actual follow-through is really the challenge. And so truthfully, dude, I'm here to just, you know, when you're asking me a question like this and we're sharing BMF story, I really want people to know like, yeah, there are other programs that are doing this, you know, warts and all we're, we're following through on it. Hmm. It ain't always pretty, but we're doing it. That makes sense. And I think in unpacking these three principles, there's probably going to be some practical wisdom that if we sat down with a group of 10 schools that were doing, let's say co-teaching their students, uh, the, the owners or the department heads are co-teaching students, they, we'd, we'd get little nuggets of wisdom from each person that, that looks different than a different school. So maybe let's not dwell on that anymore and just jump into that first thing. So when you talk about co-teaching uh, students with your teachers, maybe just if you feel it valuable, describe what that looks like. How often do you do it? You know, you mentioned our one client who spends 40 hours doing this at the yeah. beginning. We just spend a minute or two unpacking that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about exactly the what, like, what does that look like when you're in the classroom? First of all, we don't do 40 hours of co-teaching like, um, like the client I was just talking about. That's awesome that she's baked that into her rhythm, but we don't do that. We do, um, we do a, a handful of them and then we make, uh, different people like the, our private lesson director and myself available to go into the classroom as needed when the, the, the new teacher or, the, or an old teacher requests. So what does that look like? For us, we're a game-based program. We're a songwriting program. We have our own um, you know, unique curriculum. So what will, what will often happen in the beginning is I'll literally go into the studio and you know, our teacher will be there 
And I just walk in. We start with a five-minute open improvisation with every student, whether they're four or 14 or 44. So I go in there. I grab an African drum. This little five-year-old grabs a drum. I set the five-minute timer. And that teacher just observes me. So then I move from there to one of our ear training games. We call them big music games. I move into an ear training game. Again, the teacher's observing. Now, here's the key. I'm asking the teacher to take notes and to come back to me in Slack. They'll, they'll literally Slack me questions, three to five questions they had. And then I also ask them, what did you observe that worked? Hmm. Right? So I'm asking them to take notes as if they're actually in a, in, you know, almost like in a little class, right? They're, like, they're, they're studying and they're taking notes and then they're coming back with some questions. Okay, so... That's actually what's happening. If we then move on to the gig song where we're working on the songwriter's journey and we're, I'm teaching them some technique, maybe they're learning chord progressions or whatever, they'll watch me. And the, more, the, the important thing to remember here, Daniel, is yeah, that... the underlying principle. I'd love to hear this. Yeah, yeah, the underlying principle is the following. These teachers are watching the founder, like let's take it's a five-year-old piano student. They're watching the founder walk into the room sit cross-legged on the floor with this little girl, connect and do a five-minute improvisation, live out the curriculum, and then most importantly, they're watching how I'm interacting with this other human, and we have a, we have a core value called 100% engaged emotionally and intellectually. They're watching that, hey, here's a guy that runs a you know, seven-figure music school that's coming in and having a really authentic experience with this student around the curriculum that matters to that school. Hmm. And then they are required to come back to this founder and say, hey, I observed two or three things that are really valuable that I'm going to implement in my next lesson. And I still have a couple few questions for you. And so what you're basically doing there, the underlying principle is as a founder or a trainer or a school owner, or whatever role you're in, you're saying, hey, watch, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm coming in you're just, it, it, it's, it's sort of like in medical school, you know, when you, uh, the, all the medical students will stand in the operating, they'll be in the operating room, up, you know, on this, uh, uh, looking into the surgery while the surgeon's yeah. working, right? So you have all of these students that are studying what's happening, madly taking notes on what's going on and understanding the rhythm of the room. And that's what these other teachers do, especially if you're working with younger teachers that may not be really experienced educators yet they oftentimes are picking up on the most simple things like, oh, Nate always sets a timer, yet he's been teaching for 32 years. Hmm. Huh. When he says we use timers through the 45-minute lesson and time every section of it, he really means it. I mean, dude's still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the principle is like ask them to be engaged and come back to you with observations and questions. Now, how do you, so let's go back to the actual question we're asking for the episode. What evidence have you seen personally that in doing this co-teaching or, yes. um, or this observation that it's building towards greater teacher retention and greater teacher uh, loyalty and uh, um Let's say investment. Connection with your vision. Investment. Yes. Investment say with investment. your vision. How do you see that connecting? So we've heard, I mean, we had a teacher um, who, uh, you know, just recently went back to her home in Australia. 
But she said this quote to me that just totally stuck with me that I wrote in my journal. She said, Nate, I've never worked in a program that was so curious. And why is that so important to me? Well, because when we say investment, we mean what I really mean is we have these seven core values. These are the things that are so important to us. No matter how our day is going, these are the, how we serve our families. And one of them is discover everyone's story. And these, this, this teacher says this, and I say, ah, she's using language that is a core value of ours, and we're clearly living it as a community. So what do I mean by when you go back and you co-teach with the, the teacher? Well, first of all, you're giving your time to the teacher. There is nothing more valuable than time. So they feel that sense of investment in them. And you're saying that turns around and, and, and they come it's back reciprocity. And they, yeah. Yes, it's reciprocity. You're investing time into them and you are challenging them. And everybody who's going to stay on the job site is going to stay on the job site not because of the wage. They're going to stay on the job site because of a sense of belonging and a sense of challenge and a sense of opportunity. Yeah. Right? That's why people stay. Now, I like better to say we want our teachers to be invested rather than sort of loyal or stay forever. Because, mm. Daniel, you and I both know, I mean, we're, can't we've gone through yeah. like three different you know, revisions of our entire career and life. We can't control where we're going to be. You know, we can't control our teachers and their long view life plan. All yeah. we can do is ask for really 100% engagement and investment right now, right here while we're serving these families. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. You know, this isn't one of the three principles that you came in to talk about, but I think that leads to a principle that I find important. And having hired teachers myself, having hired support staff for, you know, my studio business, my consulting business, um, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, there is a sense that a skill that one can develop is that ability to sit with a person, talk with a person, have an interview with a person that you're considering bringing onto your team and knowing if that person's going to be a, a, a good fit. And, Ooh. you know, the purpose of this episode is not to get into hiring or, or things of that nature. But um, with, that, with that sense of investment, I can just imagine people listening to this or watching this might say, well, I have invested. I've, I've cut my veins open and bled for <laughs> yes, this school. Totally. I, yeah. have, I have invested in teachers and they've just left without thought. And, and so I think, again, the danger of, of yeah, hearing some principles like this and saying, oh, they, if, mm -hmm. so if I do this, it equals that. Again, it gets back to that creepy comment I made at the beginning. 
there, there is a corresponding side that there is a skill to know whether you should invest in someone. And too often, I see small business owners mm. hire quickly and fire slowly when it mm-hmm. should be the exact opposite. You should hire slowly, very careful in how you hire. Um, and you should be very fast to, to help someone discover what they should actually be doing or help move them into an opportunity that's better suited to their skills or what their vision is and not keep them around. And I can point back over the past five years and, and, and um, point to people that I help move out of the various companies that I own or run or manage or co-manage. And it was better for everyone involved sometimes in less than 30 days after I made that hiring decision. So I just want to put this principle in the greater context of, uh, of, um, please don't invest in beachfront property in Idaho. Please don't do this kind of investment unless you know that the person sitting across the table from you, uh, you get that sense that they are, uh, oh man, this is so, oh, this is tough to say. I, not worthy of that investment, but but you get the sense from them that they are just as invested right at the beginning as as you know they should be, and, and yeah. they're and they're sending those signals. So let's not move. Um, let's move on to the second principle. Let's move on to the second principle. Let's do that, but let's commit right here, dude, to our listeners that we will do an episode on hiring funnels. Sure. That we, I am more than happy to share stories of where I just totally dropped the ball, hired mm. too quickly, fired too slowly, because it's it looks great on paper and it it sounds great on a podcast. It really looks good in the book. But putting it into practice can yeah. be ass-kicking hard. Okay, yeah. so second principle. And and here's the thing about investment is you have to set up a rhythm in your school or studio where you're going to be consistent and consistently coming back to those teachers. Right. They can't feel like it's a one and done. Like it's not Nate's available to come teach the five-year-old student once. And then, you know, that teacher's like, well, I never saw Nate again. Hmm. No, it's that they can, I say, anytime you want me to come in and demonstrate a game, anytime you want me to come in and, and uh, uh, do a five-minute warm-up with your student, I'm so psyched to do that. You can invite me. I can come in for 10 minutes. You just let me know what your needs are, and I'll come in and demo anything, mm. right? Or you want me to come in and observe and give feedback, which, by the way, is a second step in that, right? When you're co-teaching, you also then want to watch your teacher uh, teach and give her the same feedback that she gave you. I observed a couple things here. I have a few questions there. Okay, so let's get to that second principle though, which is, yeah, setting up department meetings, setting up one-on-one check-ins. Okay, they have very different roles. Mm, let's hear that. Okay, so the department meeting is where you're bringing your five piano teachers together and you have an agenda where you open, like here's what how our agenda looks. I'm going to just sort of give a quick overview. Love it. But we, op- we open with a positive focus. We open all our meetings with a positive focus. So just what's one thing from your week as a teacher at the school that you're feeling really optimistic about? That takes five minutes. You'd be like, five minutes of time that I'm paying all these people to show up to the department meeting? Well, yeah, because you're, you're building this sense of community. You want everybody to be able to tell their story out of the gate. Then the second thing we do in is we literally have a GDoc open. I mean, Ben Ben runs our private lesson department meetings as the director, and I sit in and then I'm a piano teacher, right? In addition to being an owner. 
And, um, and so next thing he says is, okay, great. We're a game-based program. We have literally hundreds of games, ear training and theory games we play with our students. He says, what's one game or activity that's really working well for you this year, this week? And everybody will list in the GDoc. They'll even go like hyperlink to the how to play the game or the video demo of the game and they'll put it in there. Do they do this prior to the meeting or no. during the meeting? During the meeting, real okay. time. Because you're paying them for your time. And now, for another studio that wouldn't, that maybe isn't using hundreds of games, what's the, what's the corresponding principle that someone in another studio could yes. apply, you know, given that there's so many different ways to run a music school? Yeah, totally. What are you really getting at here? What we're really getting at here is, so if, if you're running, let's say you're running a piano school. You likely have one or two methods that you're using, hmm. right? And basically what you're saying is how, what's a, um, what's a, um, uh, a part of that curriculum that's really resonating with the teacher right now? And has, does she have an approach to it that she's excited to share? Cause that gets us to the next part of the meeting, which is who would like to dive in deep? Actually, we do it a little differently. We have everybody else, and this is this is an important little little tweak. But the underlying concept is you want people to share an element of a method that they're using with their piano student. I'm um, just using a piano studio as an example um, that is resonating with them this week. And why is that important for us as a director or a founder? Is because we want to be so mindful that every single lesson is actually an intentional lesson that it provides a really, really valuable experience. We all know when we phoned in a lesson, mm. right? Teachers, the last thing we can, we can have in our school is teachers that are just sort of dialing in, phoning in the lesson. It's another 30 minute lesson with a student that didn't practice. Mm. And the next thing you know, you sort of have the, the investment by teachers goes down click by click by click. And to them, it's just another opportunity to make some money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to, with these department meetings, we're saying everybody be public about what's working. And then let's actually go to them and say, Hey, everybody's looking at a list of, of, of sort of ideas. Let's just call them ideas that seem to be working right now. I want someone who didn't write the idea, right? I want somebody else to point to someone else's idea and say, Hey, I'd love to know more about that. Now you're asking that other teacher in the department meeting in a public setting, right, to share her passion for that idea that's working in her studio. The last part is what we call the hot seat, right? I learned this in, you know, some leadership training for business, all types of businesses. And the hot seat is really straightforward. You just say, okay, who's really struggling? And someone always raises their hand and it's like, I'm struggling with this student who... Uh, I'm struggling with a mom who's demanding to see more progress out of her seven-year-old student who doesn't practice. Okay, that's a that's a that's an issue that um, I'm sure resonates with everybody who's listening. Okay, so that hot seat then follows the form where we basically everybody asks open-ended discovery questions to this teacher, and this teacher sort of and the idea is tell me you know an open-ended question means. They're not asking for a specific answer. They're just saying, it's more like, tell me more about X. Tell me more about Y. 
And then that'll last five or 10 minutes. And what you're really trying to do is unpack what the real issue is. Because it's usually not like mom's just being annoying. Um, oftentimes, a, a hot seat issue like that will be around a teacher struggling with communication with a parent. They're not sure how to communicate the journey of our musicians at Brooklyn Music Factory. So they need actually some ideas from everyone else about how to communicate with a, with a really aggressive parent who wants to see the type of metrics that she was expecting from the program, but Brooklyn Music Factory measures in a very unique way. So anyways, then what happens is after you've had all these open-ended questions, mind you, all these other teachers are asking the questions. It's not me asking the question. It's not Ben, the private lesson director, asking the question. So the other teachers being like, tell me more, tell me more. They're engaged in the success of this other teacher. And then they all come back with solutions. Hey, you know, this seemed, this reminds me of a family. And they talk about what's worked for them. That's sort of a hot seat format that can take like 10 to 20 minutes. And one teacher really becomes the focal point. And it gets back to your comment of investment, Daniel. When that teacher gets 20 minutes of the entire department's time, to help her solve an issue with one student, how do you think that makes them feel? Yeah, it communicates a lot both to the asker and the onlooker. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's just, it, that's basically the hour. That is yeah. what the department means. There's a couple announcements. Hey, you need to do this, you need to do this. But actually, we got a lot of feedback. We always in exit interviews with teachers when they're leaving. I always do an exit interview with them. And I'm like, hey, what's working at BMF? Why did you, you know, what works really well? And then I spend most of my time saying, hey, what, what's kind of annoying? What did you not like about being part of this teaching community? And so some of the feedback we got over the last couple of years around the department meetings was like, hey, I don't need all the logistics. I don't need the school calendar. I don't need to talk about when the next gig is. All of that can come just in a Slack, you know, or in an email or whatever, however you communicate. Let's stay focused on the games Let's take focused on hot seat issues. That's really what we care about. So our meeting is primarily that. If the mission of the school is the education of the students, it makes sense that the focus of those departments and department meetings and one-on-ones will be the mission of the school. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 totally. Improving um, the experience, the education experience. Yeah, it's okay. it's very it's very similar to uh, advice I was given in uh, marriage counseling that if all you talk about with your spouse is who's picking up this kid at what time, uh, <laughs> yeah, that relationship is going to get strained over over time. You you got to focus on the important things. So I think the same thing goes yeah. in the school. So before we move on to principle three. Um, what I'm really picking up in those first two principles is just this sense of we're investing time and money into the team and the team picks up on that. And again, to highlight what I had said earlier, it's important that we as owners show up to the job site, non-anxious, that we're clear, um, that we are not trying to manipulate our staff, that we're not trying to game our staff. And if we, if we do try that, these things aren't, aren't, aren't going to work. If we're showing up authentically, then it comes across as authentic. Um, but you said something there just a second ago, which I think leads perfectly into the third principle, which is um, we actually need to talk to our team, our teachers, um, you know, in this pursuit of building a team of teachers that is invested in the success of the students, that's invested in the mission of the school, um, 
and gets that sense from the owner that they're valued, we actually need to ask them for advice on yes. how to succeed. Um, and can you maybe even rephrase that in your own words? When you say ask them for advice on how to succeed, uh, maybe just give me like a 30 second version of you know, what, is, what does it even mean to succeed or, or what do you mean by that statement? Yeah, I want to go back to what you said because you hit it perfectly. Like our mission, you know, in a place like Brooklyn Music Factory, we have a very clear purpose, which is, you know, we have a unique curriculum that is designed to inspire um, our musicians and to build their community, i.e. learn how to write songs and collaborate with other students. And we want them to have an experience where they will continue to want to collaborate with musicians for the rest of their life. We're not a school where you come to be guaranteed to get into Juilliard. That's not in our purpose or mission. Hmm. You know, we have plenty of students that go on to, you know, New England Conservatory and all these other great schools, but it's not our mission, you know, and there's some great schools. I mean, we're in New York. There's great schools where that's the mission. We will get your kid into Juilliard. Dig it? That's not our mission. So you said it perfectly. You're like, well, if you need to invest in the mission. So our department meeting is, is we're stating out loud, what are we doing successfully that's building collaboration amongst our students? So when you say ask them for advice on how to succeed, how do we, it's, there is a part of this that you're very connected to the mission of the school, i.e., Yes. When my partner and I were running the Piano Express together, the summer camp, yeah, our goal was to get kids through a hundred pages of music. Kids who had never studied the piano before, get them through a hundred pages of music in one week. And so if I'm sitting yes. down with our interns and our staff, we're talking to them about mm-hmm. hey, how can we better do that? What problems are you seeing? How do you think we should do this? Because you know, me and Greg here, you know, we're the so-called experts, but it would be incredibly arrogant of us not to ask for the advice of the people that we've hired who we believe in and get feedback yes. from them. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And and dude, this is not a judgment on missions. That is a beautiful example because it's a radically different mission than the one for Brooklyn Music Factory. I love, I love that mission, Piano Express. 100 pages of music within X amount of time, you know? So then we ran go, it's a summer camp, yeah. It's a summer camp, great. So you go back to your team weekly uh, and you're like, how are we doing? Who's mm-hmm. on page what? Oh, my, you're on page 42 and you're only on week three? Please share with the team what's working so well for you. You're only on page nine. Okay, let's hot seat that and figure out what's, wh- where your roadblocks are. Right. And then as a community, you're collaborating to find solutions because here's another vital point, because we're talking about sustainable growth in a school. Yes. And so this is so valuable. You know, we talk about this all the time because if you want to have sustainable growth, you are not going to have the solutions all the time. Mm. You cannot. Right. It doesn't work that way. When you build a team, there are a number of different roles on that team. And every role has to be valued. And therefore, everyone in those roles have to feel valued. And what there is, there is one of the most efficient ways to make people feel valued is to ask them what is working. Just what, ask them how they're doing. Ask yeah. them 
how they're doing in lessons. Ask them how they're doing at home. Like, like literally authentically be aware of this person as a really valuable asset to the community and then ask them for advice that will benefit the entire community. The key here too, Daniel, and this is a little bit subtle, but I realize when I talk about these department meetings, when I talk about the hot seat format, the hot seat format is literally the outcome. Your, your definition of success in a hot seat is that one teacher has an issue, the entire community helps come up with a committed action for that teacher. And guess what? Throughout the 20 minute process, everyone in the community benefits because there's usually about four or five other teachers that are like, oh, wait, I'm totally going to implement that as well. That's brilliant. Yes. My own Uh, experience bears this out in that when we were teaching uh, younger teaching staff how to teach group the way that I teach group, uh, I'd get questions like, well, how do you get them to understand dotted quarter notes so quickly? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is where I would come in and maybe actually on the spot show them how I did that. But over time, it got to the point where other teachers that I had trained had their own input on that. And, yes. and they could actually do that uh, uh, demonstration or their own version of it. And then it gets to the point where they're not even coming to me anymore. They might just come to that you know, senior level teacher that has the great answer. And it's at that point that you have what you said there, that sustainable growth, that scalable growth, because it doesn't make sense that every single educational, administrative marketing problem can be answered by the CEO. And if it can, you are going to hit a limit at some point Mm -hmm. as to how big your business can get. It's 100% the case. And let me, let maybe this is a good closer on our episode. I don't even know if we're done, but I want to go back. I feel like we are. Yeah, Yeah. we're we're getting close. Um, There's a lot of nuggets in this one too. And some of them will feel big. Like, uh, how am I ever going to get organized and run a department meeting every month? We do it once a month. We do an all staff meeting first Friday of the month. We do uh, department meetings by instrument once a month. And then the last two, the other two weeks of the month, we do what are called one-on-one check-ins. And this is what I wanted to close with. Remember how I said the department meeting serves a very different function than the one-on-one check-in. So as a founder or as a director of a department, the one-on-one check-in is so straightforward. You just book literally 15 minutes with a little 15-minute buffer because sometimes they go over. 15 minutes, not a lot of time. The teacher meets with you and you just simply ask, hey, how's it going? Notice the pause. Tell me more. Huh. Is there any way I can help you? Tell me more. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks so much for the input. Let me circle back with you on that answer. Notice the one-on-one check-in. What are we actually doing in that check-in? Someone described it to me perfectly, which is that without the one-on-one check-ins, the toxins build up in your business. With a one-on-one check-in, it's an opportunity to work all the toxins out in a very authentic way. In other words, every one of your teachers always has something on their mind. They're not comfortable sharing it in the department meeting. 
but you're giving them one-on-one check-ins and they will share it with you directly. Hey, I was just, you know, I'm sometimes it's so simple. Hey, I just, you know, I know we have a concert coming up in three months on, you know, May 12th, but I actually just got called for a gig where I, you know, I get to go out of town and make a ton of money. Is there any way we could work through that so that I wouldn't have to be at that concert? Now you're like, huh, if you give them the opportunity to just raise questions with you and ask for help, you are actually, um, you are basically redirecting everything so that you don't come into one of those toxic situations where it's like a week before that concert, the teacher announces that they're not going to be there, yet they have eight of their students on it. Because three months, four months earlier, you made yourself available and just said, hey, tell me about it. What, what's, what's on your mind? So that one-on-one check-in is just, you don't have to have a real agenda. You don't have to say, I need to learn X, Y, and Z, otherwise it's not worth my time. All you have to do is show up and be present for this other human for 15 minutes and ask them what's on their mind. Hmm. You know, we do that with our clients, dude. We start with, remember, we start with it like a, just a top of mind. I literally set my timer for five minutes. They want to dive right into solutions. I'm just like, what's top of mind? And they'll, they'll talk. This happened yesterday. She talked for like a minute and a half. And I was like, you still have three and a half minutes. What else is top of mind? Because hmm. eventually that thing that's really nagging at the teacher is going to come up. Yeah. So anyways, I feel like that's a good closer because that's where you can really do an ego check. As an owner, you can be like, what you said, Daniel, we're trying to grow a sustainable uh, business. It's going to rely on a team of people. And do we really genuinely, authentically, are we ready to care for each one of those people? Yeah. Are we ready to, to show up with compassion and care? And, and uh, yes, you're right. Your comment from like 20 minutes ago around, man, we're bleeding for this thing. What do you mean? I'm giving it all. That's different. That might just frankly be a misuse of our resources and time. We might get a lot more bang for the buck by doing that 15-minute one-on-one check-in with all of our staff each week, uh, each month, mm. you know, than we would hammering out and investing in Facebook ads. Yeah. So, yeah. anywho. And I, do, and I do think it goes back to that, um, that, that skill development side that we haven't talked about as much today, but uh, that, that, that side of being the owner, the CEO, that can recognize when someone is a good fit for our team and not. And when you yes. find those good fits, you just pile the investment into that person. And, mm. um, you know, and then so if one finds himself investing and, and it not quote unquote paying off, there could be a deeper issue going on there. So, um, yeah. So I think to summarize, uh, you know, the, the, to come back to that first question, how do you get your teachers to be as committed as you are to the success of their students? I think these three principles are, or four, if you count the one that I put in there, um, I think are a really, really strong base to work from. And, and what I would suggest to folks who are listening to this, or if you're watching it, um, if there's an opportunity to leave something in a comment or uh, leave feedback somewhere, wherever you're consuming this uh, episode, um, I'd love to hear what principles have worked for you. I'd love to hear 
how some yes. of how you've already implemented these principles, but maybe you have a different way that you've implemented them, um, or you have practical examples. I think we can crowdsource a lot of wisdom, and um, I think you know we've we've kind of we've jumped back and forth between practical uh, execution and deep underlying principles. And I, and I hope that this, uh, and I trust that this episode will be really helpful for folks who are in somewhere in their journey. Yeah, dig it. All right. All right. Another good one. Plus it turns out Daniel, we came up with like about six other topics that we need to tackle <laughs> on future episodes. I always do. <laughs> always All do. right. Okay, thanks. I'll, I'll see you in the next one. Later. Bye. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, Would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.